following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Hi, Pastor Dale here. I'm so excited that you're part of this weekend with us. We're engaged in the month of July in an important series called Experiencing God. We're learning some modern lessons from an ancient land. You're going with me uh, into Israel. We're going to various places. We're looking at lessons that we learned there. So I know that today's message, I believe, will really be a benefit in your life. We're going to talk about how do you experience God's peace? How do you experience joy? We're going to take you today to the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to go down into Jerusalem to the Pool of Bethesda where there was a wonderful miracle that happened to a man who had been sick for 38 years. And we're going to travel to the, to the birthplace of Jesus, to Bethlehem, and talk about some lessons that we learn in life. How do we experience peace and joy in life? So let me encourage you. Let's get ready to journey to these places, but more important, to learn some very valuable lessons for our lives today. Welcome everyone to the Mount of Beatitudes, and uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first uh, 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I'll talk just a little bit about them, and what I want to do for a few moments is talk to you really about the importance of being able to find happiness and joy in your life uh, in a way that Jesus really described it, and uh, so we're going to look at what it means to experience the peace of God and the joy of God in our lives, the happiness that comes through relationship with Christ. Uh, just so you have a, a little bit of a frame of reference, of course, Jesus did his teaching ministry all around this area, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, part of his major message that, that he began his ministry with is something called, called the Sermon on the Mount. And perhaps the best place in the scriptures to read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety is Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so all three of those would have represented the sermon that Jesus gave on the mountainside. And uh, it says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, there's a first portion of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. And that's the part we're going to focus on today. You saw uh, many of those as we were coming in, all eight of those Beatitudes that were laid out for you. I want to just draw your attention to them for just a few moments, and then we'll uh, pray together that uh, these things could become more real in our lives. Beginning in verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And so again, we've come up on a mountainside. Is this the actual place where Jesus would have gathered his disciples that day for this teaching? Uh, we don't know for sure, but as you often hear uh, said in Israel, uh, if it's not here, it is near, okay? So if it's not right here, it is very near here. So uh, this could very well have been the site somewhere around here. Uh, tradition seems to indicate that there's some uh, legitimacy to it, but, but we never know for sure exactly where Jesus was. When you're in the Holy Land, there's some places that you know absolutely for sure Jesus was right here. We know that Jesus was definitely in this vicinity, more than likely, certainly around this area, uh, as we see the Sea of Galilee below us there. And so he came up on a mountainside one day, and he sat down to teach. The reason that Jesus sat down is because that was the tradition of the rabbis during those days. To be able to teach, you would bring your disciples around you, you would sit down, and you would speak from a seat of authority. And so Jesus is taking a seat of authority to proclaim uh, really the essence of what his kingdom is all about. So this is what we would call kind of the, 
constitution of the kingdom. Jesus says, this is what I want you to understand my kingdom to be. And he starts with these words in, uh, in the, the passage here, Matthew 5, beginning verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A, a town built on, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house." In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This particular passage, uh, each, each of the Beatitudes, or eight Beatitudes, and do you remember as I read them, what was the word that was repeated over and over again throughout them? Blessed, exactly right. And so uh, to appreciate that word blessed, we often say when somebody sneezes, what do we say? God bless you. Or we walk away and say, God bless you. We, we use that word so, uh, so casually many times. But actually when Jesus said blessed, he used a very specific Greek word. It's makarios. Say that with me. Makarios. And the word makarios is a word that carries with it a sense of wholeness, a sense of happiness, a sense of fulfillment, a sense that goes beyond just, hey, God bless you. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying, this is how you experience makarios in your life. This is how you experience the richness of God's happiness, okay, or the richness of God's joy is another way to say this. And it's very interesting because in the time of Jesus, uh, during his earthly ministry, he was, uh, he, he was in, obviously in Israel, but Israel was ruled by the Romans. And so the Romans had a very different perspective of what it meant to be happy, what it meant to have joy, what prosperity was all about. And so Jesus, not only to the Jews, but also to the environment in which the Jews lived, he comes in and speaks a word that says, I want to show you how to really have happiness. I want you to realize that happiness does not start outside of you. Happiness starts where? Inside of you. And this is really important to understand. And happiness is not about how we often think of happiness. That's what good things happen to me. If I have good things happening to me, then I am happy, okay? If, if things go my way, I am happy. But Jesus said no real happiness, makarios, happens by a transformation in you. One of the major things that you must understand about Jesus' ministry is Jesus never emphasized the doing first. He always emphasized the being first. He, what that means is this. He, he, he taught us that if you can get the stuff right on the inside, then the things on the outside will be better for you. Your life will be transformed 
externally by transformation internally. So let's take a look really quickly at some of these Beatitudes. I won't go through necessarily all of them, but he starts by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit speaks of us having a sense of poverty, needing God. How I many you know that you need God in your life? And the more that you know you need God, what, what do you do? The more you seek God, okay? And as you seek God, then you experience the kingdom of God in your life. You can't experience the kingdom of God while you're living in the kingdom of yourself, okay? You can't live in your kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, they know that they need God. And so it puts them in a dependency position to say, God, I need you in my life. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. The idea of mourning in Scripture is connected to the idea of recognizing not only our need for God, but our brokenness before God. That we come to God realizing that we're all sinners, aren't we? Okay, There's not a single one of us. We haven't missed the mark with God and hurt the heart of God. And so we mourn over the fact that we have never been the people that we really have wanted to be in relationship to God. But he says, if you come in mourning to me and repentance to me, then that's where you find comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness was one of the characteristics of Jesus. It's a, it's a word in the Greek language that speaks of uh, gentleness is another word. Uh, probably the best uh, way to describe meekness in the Bible is power under control. Uh, for example, you see a big massive stallion that has been properly trained. A stallion is full of muscles, very powerful animal, but it's been properly trained and you can move a stallion just by touching the reins on the neck of that animal and it turns exactly where it needs to be. There's a meekness to the animal. So meekness is never defined as weakness. Meekness is to have your power submitted to the control of Christ, that your life is submitted so that anytime he lays his, his rein to your neck to turn you in whatever direction you need to go, that you are responsive to him. Yet Yes, you have your own life, but you've submitted it to Him in meekness. Then it says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, what you hunger for is what you go after, okay? And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you'll be pursuing righteousness in your life, and there will be a, a filling for your life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Any of you here today thankful that God's been merciful to you? Okay. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not giving you what you deserve, okay? When you go to court and you've committed a crime and you stand before the judge and the judge is about to execute the sentence upon you that you rightfully deserve, what do you say to the judge? Judge, I'm guilty, but I plead mercy. Please have mercy upon me. You might recall the story of uh, two men that went to the temple to pray, right? One guy was a Pharisee. The other guy was, was a sinner. And the Pharisee stood up before his prayer time before God said, God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I thank you that I don't do this and I don't do that. I'm an awesome guy. God, you're lucky to have me, okay? That was his attitude. But what did the other guy do? Oh, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner, okay? And the scripture says that Jesus talked about the fact who went away justified, the guy who was full of himself or the guy that knew he needed mercy. It was the guy that knew he needed mercy. And then Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will, they will be shown mercy. So we understand that our receiving, we can't receive the mercy of God and then mean judgmental toward other people. Amen? Okay? So if we want God's mercy, we have to extend mercy to those around us. So these are all 
principles of the kingdom of God. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That is, the more God purifies you, the more you're able to see who He is. and His reflection becomes a part of your life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That is, when we're making peace, we're actually doing God's work. We're doing the work of our Father. Blessed are those that are persecuted, because there's a blessing that comes with that. And then, of course, he, just, he ends up this particular passage talking about us being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But what I want you to see today as we're talking about real happiness is this. Happiness does not happen to you by what happens outside of you. Happiness happens to you when you get your life in line with God. And that means this. It means that even when things aren't happening the way that you want them to happen in your life, you can still be happy. Isn't that great to know? And that's part of what we need to carry into our world. The world today desperately needs to see people who have something that is not dependent upon circumstances. There's so much of our world today that is, they they watch the news and they hear the terror here and the problems there and the circumstances over there and the fear gets into their heart and before long it robs them of their happiness. Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to understand if you'll live by the principles of my word and the principles of my kingdom, you can experience makarios. You can find happiness inside of you so you're not going to find happiness. You take happiness with you everywhere you go. Isn't that good to know? Because happiness doesn't exist outside of you. It exists inside of you. It's the real joy of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so what we want to do today is we're in this important setting overlooking the Sea of Galilee on the mountain, perhaps the very mountain where Jesus would have taught this lesson. Certainly if it's not here, it's very near to where we are today. And I would encourage you that in all in your life today as we're talking about these Beatitudes, that you would make the choice to say, God, I want to begin to wean myself away from happiness associated with my happenings, all right? Now, that's a growth process. It doesn't happen overnight, okay? But you have to wean yourself from it so that your happiness is not determined by what happens to you. Your happiness is determined by what Jesus has done for you and the fact that Jesus Christ is in you. But here we are at at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, I'm going to share a brief message with you here uh, at this place of really an amazing moment. The the, the word Bethesda uh, in in Greek means uh, it it represents the house of mercy or the house of grace or the house of flowing water, I think is another translation of it. And so basically it's a place that that represents healing, okay? The Bible says in in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda. Where are we right now? So you are right here. You just stepped into John chapter 5 right now, okay? Isn't that amazing to think about, okay? So you like stepped in from 2017, you stepped right back over 2,000 years ago into John chapter 5. Uh, inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of pe- sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So just imagine that uh, back in Jesus' day when he would come here, all kind of people who were lame and sick, and you know, we think about the homeless that we see when, we, when you go through uh, metropolitan urban areas is at times. You see them, uh, you know, all around. Well, there would have been folks like that who were sick and diseased and paralyzed that would come here to this area because it was known to be a place of mercy or place of healing, okay? 
Uh, one translation speaks of the fact that angels would come down and stir the waters at particular times. We don't quite understand what that was about, uh, but we understand that that was some of the uh, the, the concept of what happened here in terms of healing. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Okay, everybody say with me, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? I can't. Notice what was his response? I can't. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the, the one who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, what I want to talk to you about here is really what Jesus did for a man who had been sick for 38 years. And in this situation, we find someone who had actually had a very long-standing problem. It was something that had happened in his life for about four decades. Just imagine that for a moment. For almost 40 years, 38 years, he had been sick with this ailment. He had lived his life in survival mode, okay? And perhaps other than simply not having a life, there's no worse way to live than just barely surviving every day, just barely making it. He was at the expense of, his life was at the expense of those that would carry him here, take care of him here. He looked for opportunities to get into the water so he could be healed. But it seemed like that every time he was heading toward the water, somebody else would get in front of him. So he never seemed to have any of the breaks in life. So he's been sick for 40 years, almost 38 years. And it seems like everybody else gets the blessing that he wants. Have you ever been there in your life? You got a problem? It's staying around for a long time and it seems like everybody else is getting their prayers answered. Everybody else is going on with life, but you seem to be stuck, okay? And there's no worse place perhaps in life than, than to feel like you're stuck in a situation that is never going to change, right? That there's something there that's like, this is never going to change. And that's why when Jesus comes to the man, what was the first question that Jesus asked the man? Do you want to get well? Okay. Why did Jesus ask him, do you want to get well? Most likely, Jesus asked him that question because the man was hopeless. There was, there was a part of his life that said, you know what? I don't think anything good is ever going to happen to me. He had lost all hope, all possibility that his life could ever be any different. But there in that moment, Jesus was calling him, very important, he was calling him out of his victimhood into victory, okay? Amen. See, I will tell you that when you get stuck in victimhood, victimhood is, this has all happened to me, this is never going to change, nothing's going to ever be any different, I'm just the victim of things that have happened in my life. And Jesus always calls us out of victimhood because with Jesus, you don't have to be a victim. With Jesus, you can be a victor. Amen? Okay? Amen. He's the one that lifts you out. He's the one that pulls you up out of things that even if lasted for long times in your life. And so there in that moment, Jesus inspired this man with a sense of hope about his future. He said, you know what? You don't have to live in this any longer. Do you want to get well? And of course, the first response of the man was, I can't. I mean, that many times in life, that's our response. When a new opportunity comes our way, our response is not, I can. Our response is, I can't. But here's the good news. What we can't do, he can do, okay? What he can't do, 
what we can't do, Jesus can do. So it really wasn't about what this man could do. It was about what Jesus could do for him. And there in that moment, there was this moment of faith where Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. In other words, now you've been living in this condition for almost 40 years. Now I'm charging you. I'm commanding you. I'm instructing you. I'm inspiring you with a word of hope. Rise up from where you are. Don't let your failures of the past, don't let what has been there in the past define your future. And so for us today, as we're in this place, the pool of Bethesda, I want to encourage you, don't let anything of what has been in your life define who you are today or what you can be. Right here in this moment can be a transformation moment. No matter how many, how long your situation has been lasting, no matter how hopeless you might feel, when Jesus steps in, He says, do you want to rise out of being a victim? Are you ready for victory? And I will tell you that when you, when you add your faith to the call of Jesus and you begin to pick up your mat and walk, listen, the man had to do something. He had to reach down and say, I'm getting my mat. Matt, and I'm not going to stay in this condition any longer. So I'm going to charge all of you today, whatever your mat is, whatever you've been laying on, whatever's been the thing that has kept you down and left you in a place of sort of paralyzed for all these years. And lots of things can paralyze you in life. But today I'm going to charge and encourage you as Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. Today Jesus comes to you and says, pick up your mat and walk. Amen. Pick up your mat. And get beyond whatever's held you down and held you back. Because your day, this day, is a day of a new beginning for you. This day is a day that now, no longer will your past define you. No, you're moving toward an incredible destiny and an incredible future for your life. Welcome, uh, everyone, to the uh, Shepherd's Field. Uh, area in Bethlehem, and uh, we want to talk just for a few moments about the birth of Jesus. We visited the Church of the Nativity, and of course, we saw what is the traditional what is the tr- traditional site of Jesus' birth. But we want to read the story of Jesus' birth and uh, tie it into the place where we are right now. It's in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse number one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That This was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Galilee, in Na- in Gal- town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. That's where we are. The town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Of course, this is the story of the announcing of Jesus' birth to the shepherds in the field out, fields outside of Bethlehem. What you're looking at here represents some of the fields that could potentially have been a site, the site, or a site similar to this, where these shepherds would have been. And many people believe that these were the shepherds that were tending flocks that could have been utilized for the sacrifice, sacrifices in the temple, which obviously would have been very appropriate because Jesus was coming to be the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. And so whether that was the case or not, we don't know, but it certainly is, is not inappropriate speculation that these shepherds could have been temple shepherds caring for sheep that would have gone up to the temple in Jerusalem. But what happened there that night is we find as there is this annunciation, this declaration, this birth announcement. Think about it. That when a new baby is born, one of the things you want to do is tell everybody, right? Okay? You send out a birth announcement. And God is giving the first birth announcement to the world. And think with me for a moment. Of all the people God could have given the first birth announcement to, who did He give it to? A bunch of shepherds. Now, shepherds were not considered to be upper echelon of society. They were not considered to be the elite of the elite, certainly. They were at a lowly level of, of really kind of a mundane sort of job. And you would think that perhaps God, when He announced the birth of His Son into the world, would go to the palaces of a king somewhere, go to the people that were really rich or important, and announce it to them. But what I want you to see is that when God first announced the birth of His Son in the world, He came to humble, lowly shepherds out in a field like this as we're seeing here today and he announced to them Christ the Savior has been born. And then of course it wasn't that much longer uh, when a star appeared in the east to some magi. We don't know for sure. The Bible never says it was three magi, but we know that they brought gifts. We get the three magi based upon the three gifts that are given. But there you see the elite of society. Those magi represented kingmakers, those who were really powerful people in the world of Persia at that time. And so there's the star that appears to them, and they make the journey and eventually find their way to the Christ child. And in this story, we see that both from the lowliest person in society to the highest person in society, Jesus brings us all together. Amen? Jesus is the one that brings us to the place of realizing there's no one too low for Him that cannot find Him, and there's no one too high that doesn't need Him. And so the story of Jesus' birth, particularly the announcement, I always like to remind people of the fact that God announced it to both dimensions of society because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. It's that recognition that we, are, we bring to us today for remembrance right here at the Shepherd's Field. Well, today we've been talking about how do you experience God's peace? How do you experience God's joy? We went to the Mount of Beatitudes and I talked about the fact that real happiness starts in you before it ever happens around you, that Jesus calls us to experience happiness internally. 
Then we went to the Pool of Bethesda and we talked about how Jesus calls us out of victimhood into victory and that peace and joy in life starts when you cease being a victim and you start believing that God has victory for you. And then of course we traveled to Bethlehem, the birthplace of our Savior. We talked about the fact that there's no one that's too low for Jesus that can't find Him and there's no one that's too high that does not need Him. That whatever place you are in life, that Jesus is there to reach you with the peace and joy that only He can bring. And so my prayer for you today is that today would be that day that you would begin to experience a greater level of peace in your life. You'd begin to discover the joy that Jesus has for you. So I want to pray for you that you'll take these messages, these truths, these principles, and let them begin to be massaged into you today. So let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had today to uh, go to these different places via video, uh, Lord, in Israel, and how we've learned lessons, Lord, uh, from them. Father, thank you for the Mount of Beatitudes and we learn the value of happiness in us. Thank you for the Pool of Bethesda where we learn that we don't have to be victims any longer, that you've called us to a victorious life. Thank you for Bethlehem where you remind us, Lord, that no one is too low, Lord, that it cannot be reached by you and no one is too high that does not need you, that wherever we are in life, the Lord, you're there to reach us. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, that through these lessons, that we would begin to walk in the peace of God, that we would discover joy like we've never known before. Take these messages, take these truths and apply them deep in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org 
slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.